This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. Before we begin, I want to dedicate this episode to the continued success of our soldiers in battle, Be'ezrat Hashem, the returning of all of the hostages, whole and complete, the refuah of everybody who's been injured, who's sick, and the comforting of the families, their lost loved ones, Be'ezrat Hashem, the continued unity of the Jewish people. So this week I have two stories for you. The first one was when the great Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi Mordechai of Nadvorna, was once on a long train trip with many of his Hasidim. And every now and then, they would have to change trains, and they happened to be somewhere deep in Russia. And the Rebbe and his Hasidim are standing by the train tracks, waiting for the next train to come, when all of a sudden they heard a commotion. There was a young, non-Jewish woman who was screaming and crying. There was a large crowd that was gathering around, and she was telling everyone that apparently somebody stole her purse when she was on the last train and left her without any money or tickets to get back home, and she didn't know what to do. Most people, after they heard the crying, they simply turned around and went back to their places, leaving her to deal with her problem on her own, because it wasn't their problem. And they could see the train in the distance was approaching, and they were getting ready to get on the train and leave this woman behind. The police, after all had said, they would do their best to see if they could help her, but nobody was able to help her. And normally, the Jews and the Gentiles kept separate from one another, and it was the general common wisdom and common sense for Jews to stay out of the affairs of non-Jews, especially when the police were already looking for a suspect. So the Hasidim were very surprised when the Nedvorna Rebbe turned to one of his younger Hasidim, gives him some money, and he says, please run quickly to the ticket office and buy a ticket for this woman and also give her some of your own money so that she'll have some traveling money. But don't say a word about where the money came from. And so the Hasid ran to the ticket station. He breathlessly told the man behind the window, I need a ticket quickly. And he bought the ticket and runs over to the woman. And he simply hands her the ticket. And she looks at him and says, what's this? He said, I heard that your money was stolen and your ticket was stolen. And so here's a ticket for you to get back home. The woman was so shocked, she was speechless. But then the chassid handed her some money. And he said, in case you need to buy something, some food or anything on the way back home, this should be enough to get you back home. She looked at this chassid, stared him in the face. And she said, I will never be able to thank you for what you've done for me. I'll never be able to pay you back for what you've done for me. And he said, we Jews believe that God is running the world. And for whatever reason, it was destined in heaven that I would be the one that gave you this ticket and gave you this money. So may Hashem bless you to have safe travels back and don't even think about it. And so the Hasidim and the Rebbe get on the train and the woman, she gets on the train and they all go on their way. And many years passed, 15 years actually passed. And during that time, this Hasid got married, had a family and became a very successful businessman. And also during that time, the great Rebbe passed away. And the Hasid completely forgot about the incident at the train station so many years ago. 
In his business dealings, the Hasid, of course, had to interact with non-Jews, and he had many non-Jewish friends that were in very high places and had a lot of connections. And he was always careful to be very honest in business and to give tzedakah and to help his fellow Jews. And so one morning, when he received a subpoena to appear in court, he was shocked, especially when he saw that the charges were for cheating the government. Now the Hasid knew that he didn't cheat the government. The charges were clearly false. The witnesses had obviously been paid for. And so he started contacting his friends in high offices, but he quickly learned, unfortunately, that these were not real friends, and nobody was willing to help him. He went from office to office, trying to get somebody to listen to him, but no one was interested. He could barely even find for himself a lawyer, because every lawyer who saw the subpoena told him, it's a closed case. You're clearly guilty. There's witnesses against you. There's nothing to do. But eventually he found one lawyer who was willing to take his case, and he prayed for a miracle. The two of them went to the courthouse on the day he was supposed to show up for the subpoena, and there was a pre-trial hearing that took less than an hour. He was found guilty of all charges, sentenced to a huge million-ruble fine, life in prison, and that he would be incarcerated until the actual trial took place. So this Hasid was besides himself. Through some connections and with his lawyer, he was able to post bail for himself and at least get out of jail until the trial was to begin. But he was desperate. He didn't know what to do. If the Nedvorner Rebbe was still around, he would have gone for a bracha, some advice or something. But the Rebbe had already left this world. He went to all of the best lawyers in town, but no one wanted to take his case. They all figured, if he has a million ruble fine, he can't afford to pay them. And on top of that, in the pretrial, he was guilty of everything. It was his word versus everyone else's. And a Jew's word, no matter how successful he was, was not worth very much. And so this Jew, this Hasid, he didn't know what to do. He figured he would take a chance. He would go to find the judge who lived in Budapest, in Hungary, and he would at least try to talk with the judge and explain to him that this was a setup and he was innocent. And he figured, with a fine like a million rubles, he would just take a huge amount of money with him and maybe even try to bribe the judge. He was desperate, he didn't know what to do. So he packed his bag, took this money, and caught the next train to Budapest. But when he got to Budapest, he went to the Jewish community and asked about the judge. And everyone told him that he was a great Jew hater. And that if ever a Jew showed up in his court, it didn't take more than a few seconds before the judge stuck him in prison for life. There was no chance the judge would even look at, yet alone talk to this chassid, and certainly wouldn't have any compassion on any Jew in the whole world. Our friend the chassid, he did not give up. He told himself everything that Hashem does is for the best, and Hashem is running the world perfectly all the time, and besides, it won't help me to be depressed. So he continued walking around the city, talking with Jews, trying to learn more about the judge and his family, and see if he could figure something out. And he learned that the judge's wife, who was also an anti-Semite, loved embroidered tablecloths. She had a huge collection of them, and she had a weakness for them, so this chassid came up with a plan. He would buy the most expensive embroidered tablecloth that he could find and show up at the doorstep of the judge's house, pretending to be a salesman. And if the wife was interested in the tablecloth, he would offer it to her as a gift and beg her to speak with her husband on his behalf. 
truth was, it was a very dangerous plan. It was actually kind of stupid. Because she could have just taken the tablecloth and reported him to the police. And then he would be on his way to prison forever. And she would have this lovely tablecloth. But he couldn't think of anything better. And so the next morning, he went all around Budapest, finding a beautiful masterpiece of a tablecloth with matching napkins that cost him an absolute fortune. He had it packed in a beautiful box with a ribbon and flowers on top. And he walked to the judge's home, trying to keep himself as calm as possible. But when he got to the door of the building and started walking up the stairs to the door, he started getting a cold sweat and his heart was beating so fast. He really wondered, am I going to really screw things up for myself? But he knew he had no choice. He reaches the grand door of the apartment, closed his eyes, said a little pasuk of Tehillim, and knocks on the door. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to answer the door. And the whole time, he's thinking, this is a bad idea, I should run away. But then he says, I have no choice. What am I going to do? And he's sweating and he's stressing. And the door suddenly opens. It was the judge's wife. And she looks at this chassid. She's not accustomed to having a Jew visit her. He did his best to give her a little smile. And then he shows her the box and hands it to her and says, Please, madame, please open it. And she says, What is this? And he's trying to say something, but he's so frozen with fear. The words are not coming out of his mouth. And suddenly she screamed <coughs> and fainted on the spot. Things were not looking very good for our friend the chassid. He was thinking, I should run for my life. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. If he just stays there, someone's going to accuse him of something. But then he thought if he runs and he gets caught, it'll be even worse. Maybe chas v'shalom, God forbid, they kill him on the spot. But if he tried to help the judge's wife to get up, they might accuse him of attacking her. And he's trying to figure out what to do. In the meantime, the judge heard the commotion and came running out. And when he got there and he sees a chassid, it was hard to tell who was more shocked, the judge or the chassid. Right away, the judge understood that this chassid was no threat. And so he bent down to his wife and said, Magda, are you okay? What happened? And the judge's wife, she opens one eye and looks around and then points at the chassid. And she says, Laszlo, which was the judge's name, Laszlo, Laszlo. And she keeps repeating her husband's name till she finally gets up. And she pointed the chassid and said, look. And the judge doesn't understand what's going on. He says, Magda, please, you have to explain. I don't understand what's going on here. Who is this chassid and why did you faint? And what is this box? And what's going on? So the judge's wife, she said, you remember, Laszlo, around 15 years ago, I told you that I was stranded at a train station because somebody had stole my tickets and my money, and there was some Jew that came and saved me. And he said, yes, of course, I remember. She said, well, this Jew looks exactly like the man that saved me. I think it's him. And the chassid was nodding his head, and he was saying, yes, it was me. It was me. Fifteen years ago, I ran and bought you a ticket and gave you some money for your trip. When the judge realized that this chassid was the one who saved his wife, his face completely changed. He said, please, my friend, come into our house. Please sit down. What can I get you? And the chassid said, I'm sorry. I can't eat anything from your home. But I'm just happy that you're not arresting me or shooting me, God forbid. 
So the judge said, well, what, what are you doing here? What is this box? And he opens the box and shows the tablecloth to the judge's wife. And he says, this is for you. She said, I don't understand. He said, your honor, I've been falsely accused of stealing money from the government. And the witnesses are false witnesses. They've clearly been paid. I promise you I never stole from anyone. And all I'm asking for, your honor, is a fair trial and that you listen to me without any prejudice. And the judge said, of course, somebody who saved my wife, I promise to give you a fair trial. And of course, now the judge knew that the witnesses were bribed and the charges were false. And when the trial finally came, through asking the right questions and wanting to save the chassid, the judge was able to reveal the truth and the chassid was acquitted of all charges. And this was all thanks to the Rebbe, the Nadvorna Rebbe, who had told this chassid so many years before to buy this woman a ticket and give her some money. And it was because the chassid believed in the true tzaddik and believed in Hashem and didn't give up hope, even when it seemed like there was no hope, that he was saved from a terrible fate. And so, my sweetest friends, when you feel down and you're faced with challenges, and I know what it is to be faced with challenges, remember this story and don't give up because Hashem is running the world perfectly all the time. I have one more story for you. This is a story about Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, known as the Rebbe Maharash, who was the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe. One day he tells a group of his Hasidim, we're going on a trip. And they said, Rebbe, where are we going? He said, we're going to Paris, to Paris. Now the Hasidim were accustomed to going around Ukraine and Russia, but Paris, that was not a place where the Rebbe and his Hasidim normally would go. And when they arrived in Paris, One of the Rebbe's closest Hasidim, Rabbi Yeshaya Berlin, asked the Rebbe, where are we staying? And the Rebbe said, I will be staying at the Alexander Hotel. Now, the Hasidim were really surprised because the Alexander Hotel was the most luxurious and expensive hotel in all of Paris at the time. And everyone knew that members of royalty and other high-ranking dignitaries would hang out there. This was certainly not a place for a Rebbe and his Hasidim. And there was nothing kosher in the Alexander Hotel. Not just food, but other things as well. Simple people like the Hasidim, no matter how wealthy they were, never dreamt of crossing the threshold into this hotel. But this is where the Rebbe wanted to stay. And the Rebbe told the Hasidim, I'm going to do all the talking. The rest of you don't say a word. Which wasn't a problem, because none of the Hasidim spoke French. But the Rebbe Maharash was fluent in many languages. He spoke Russian spoke French, and even Latin. The Rebbe was extremely well-read and educated in many subjects beyond Torah. And you would wonder, why would a Rebbe, whose whole life is focused on Torah and helping Jews connect to the Torah and mitzvot, 
Why would the Rebbe need to know Latin? Why would the Rebbe need to know all of these secular subjects? And it says, of course, in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, in chapter 214, which means, know what to answer a heretic. And so, for a Rebbe, he needed to be able to have answers when someone would ask him questions. And that's one of the reasons that the Rebbe spoke French. So at the front desk of the hotel, the head clerk is kind of shocked to see a Rebbe in his Hasidim standing there. And he says, how may I help you? Are you sure you're in the right place? And the Rebbe answers, yes, we're in the right place. The Rebbe said, I'm interested in several suites for me and my Hasidim. Which rooms are available? And the clerk replied, you should know, Rabbi, that it's a minimum of 200 francs a night, which was a fortune to sleep in this hotel. It was an unimaginable sum. But the Rebbe said, no, I'm not interested in a suite for 200 francs, looking for something more than that. Maybe you have something better. I'm very interested in staying on the same floor as the casino. Do you have a suite on the casino floor? And the clerk checks the registrar and he says, Rabbi, you're in luck. There is actually an empty suite right next door to the casino, but it's going to cost you 400 francs. And the Rebbe said, very good. I want one room for myself and two for the rest of the Hasidim. But the Hasidim didn't have the money to afford the rooms. The Rebbe could only afford his own room. So unfortunately, the Hasidim had to go someplace else. And they found a kosher hotel in Paris, which was much cheaper. And they stayed there. The Rebbe, in the meantime, went up to his suite. And after he closed the door, the Hasidim went back to their hotel, arranged their things, and then came and hung out in the hallway, waiting for the Rebbe to come out of his room. They had a little problem because the casino was right next door, but they did their best not to look into the casino and only to think about the holiness of the Rebbe. And when the Rebbe finally came out of his room, his face was very serious, and it was even a little red, and it was clear that he had been crying. The Rebbe stood up straight and pulled his suit to straighten any wrinkles, and then purposely walked straight into the hotel casino. The Hasidim decided to stay outside the door and just watch the Rebbe. And as the Rebbe walks into the casino, the players at the tables there were shocked to see, first of all, a religious Jew, but second, someone of the Rebbe's stature. What was he doing there? We know that everybody has a level of Malchut. Malchut? Defining Malchut is not so easy. But in the simplest way, it means everybody has a level of God's kingship in this world. And somebody like the Rebbe's, they had a very high level of Malchut. And that was enough for everybody in the casino to stare at the Rebbe. The Hasidim were just as shocked as the gamblers to see the Rebbe walking through the casino. But of course they knew that the Rebbe Maharash had his reasons. And the Rebbe sat down at one of the tables where they were playing cards. And next to him was a Jewish man who didn't look Jewish. But clearly the Rebbe knew that he was. And in front of him, he was drinking from a wine glass. And every now and then, he would take a sip of his wine. The Rebbe sat down next to him. And in the beginning, the Rebbe said nothing. And the man continued playing, ignoring the Rebbe. And then the Rebbe stretched out his arm and put his hand on this young man's shoulder. And the Rebbe said to him, Young man, it is forbidden to drink the wine of Gentiles. And the gambler just ignored the Rebbe and continued playing. But then the Rebbe said, non-kosher wine dulls the mind and the heart. And for some reason, the gambler stopped drinking. He stopped gambling. He turns to the Rebbe and looks the Rebbe in the eye. 
And the Rebbe says to him, be a Jew. And then the Rebbe got up, wished the table a good night, and walked out of the casino into his room. And the Rebbe's closest chassid, Rabbi Shaya Berlin, he later commented that he never saw the Rebbe in such an emotional state. When the Rebbe left the casino, he was crying, and he walked into his room and closed the door. A few hours later, that young Jewish gambler started asking who was the rabbi who sat next to him in the casino. And when the Hasidim saw this, they ran over to him and took him to the Rebbe. The Rebbe opened the door, and the two of them stayed in that room for many hours. Eventually, the gambler left, and the next morning, the Rebbe left the hotel. As they were returning home, the Rebbe explained to the Hasidim that it's been many generations since such a pure soul had come down to earth. And he was talking about the Jewish gambler. And the Rebbe said, unfortunately, his soul had fallen into the depths of Klippa, into the forces of evil. Because the higher the soul, my sweetest friends, the deeper the Klippa. Because the negative energy draws its sustenance from the positive. Because this Jew had such a high soul, he was drawn down into such a deep, dark place. But of course, after an encounter like that with the Rebbe, you don't stay the same. And this young Jew eventually found his way to Lubavitch, to the court of the Rebbe Maharash. And he began learning how to live a life of Torah and mitzvot. And eventually he fulfilled his purpose of being such a lofty soul, marrying and having children, and leaving many descendants behind that were God-fearing and religious Jews till today. And this, my friends, is what a Rebbe is, because Rebbe stands for Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. And just like when you have a pain in your small toe, and even though it's so far away from your head, you can still feel it. A Rebbe feels the pain of every Jew, wherever they are. And this was the extent of the love of the Rebbe Maharash for his fellow Jews, even a Jew in Paris who he had never met before. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. As always, 
Thank you to all of the supporters and the contributors, and the people that sent in cups of coffee. I'm very grateful to you. And I want to say Shalom Aleichem to one of the contributors, Halel Yisrael Malik, who listens to the podcast two times a day, and also is a storyteller himself, and to the Maloney family, and Rebbe Baruch, and Rebbe Yisrael Moshe, and everyone else. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being part of the Hasidic Story Project. And thank you, my friends, for sharing. Please continue telling your friends and sharing the episodes. And until next week, my sweetest friends, when we have some more Hasidic stories, have a good Shabbos and a good week. Take care of yourselves and Zai Gesund.